Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 42. This is your Shedding Light Hunting Stories uh, forecast. Uh, today it's going to be 68 degrees in Ohio and 90% chance of rain. Uh, and then Thursday it's going to be 68 degrees and 100% chance of rain. That's Halloween. And then Friday, November the 1st, no rain, high of 48. Now if you are not a deer hunter, that means nothing to you other than that you're going to have to get out a, a larger jacket on Friday. But if you're a deer hunter, you know that those conditions could put bucks on their feet and it could be an awesome day uh, this Friday. And so I'm super pumped to go out with my buddy Trav that evening, get into the stand. He's got a spot picked out for me since he's already killed his one buck for Ohio. Uh, he's got some other bucks running around. And so I'm hoping for a shot opportunity on Friday night. So we'll see what happens. But uh, speaking of Travis Shire, uh, he just released the traditional journey over on our Shedding Light Outdoor page. So if you go over to the Shedding Light Outdoor Doors um, Facebook page or on YouTube, look us up. It's called The Traditional Journey Continues. Uh, four years ago, Trav uh, just kind of got tired of shooting a compound, wanted to pick up a longbow, uh, started with a recurve, and now he's into a longbow, and he's he's a deadly guy. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's had a, a, an incredible season already, and he documents that in this video, and uh, it is epic footage, um, some of the coolest footage you'll see, great editing he's just started editing within like the last year and um helping me out with that and i tell you what i think he surpassed me so you're gonna love this video he's got some great footage of a doe that he took a shot on and also uh his largest buck to date uh with a longbow uh that he gets so uh check that out uh i hope that you give it a like and let us know and share it and all that good stuff and we just, you know, we have a good time filming our hunts. It's a challenge, but it's we just enjoy sharing it. And when people enjoy that and they like it, we're not trying to become famous. We just like putting out our our view on hunting and what we like to do and how we see God and, uh, you know, connect all that. So hope that you enjoy that stuff that we put out there. Also hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, leave a review, uh, share it, subscribe, all that good stuff helps out. Today we're going to just jump right in with our interview guest. His name is Steve Phillips. He's been on the show before, uh, lives in Texas, loves to hunt, and just has a passion for it. Today he's going to talk about some bucks he was able to harvest and also a really incredible fishing competition story and, uh, and his pursuit to become the Texas Angler of the Year. So uh, without further ado, here we go, Steve Phillips. Steve Phillips, how's it going, man? Good, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm having a lovely day, and we got people coming in the house to do some water mitigation, had a bunch of water damage, so we're having a having a blast. <laughs> Always fun. Yeah, what are you Always. into, man? Well, so I've been hunting pretty hard. I had a, a, quite a few days off here. And uh been hunting there around the house, and it's kind of terrible, to be honest with you. So I got home last night and was checking the cell cameras I have up here in the panhandle. And I had a big deer show up up here that I hadn't been seeing, and then just several other, you know, mature deer starting to show up on camera. So I got tired of looking at nothing and decided to drive eight hours to come look at something. Nice. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a long drive for most people, but I mean, you're in you're in Texas, right? So, if anybody uh, didn't listen to the last podcast you're on, give us a little introduction about where you're from and all that stuff. 
Yeah, so I, I live in East Texas. If you look at uh, if you look at a, a map in Pine Lake, Sam Raver, uh, I'm about 15 minutes from the middle of the lake, right there. Uh, you know that green national forest, public land stuff over there. Probably an hour and a half west of uh, the Louisiana border. Yeah, it's more like that's what I try to tell people. You know that, that are familiar with the area. Picture Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. Uh, that's more like the Texas that I live in. Okay. Uh, where I'm where I'm headed right now is uh, about 90 miles due east of Amarillo on I-40, a little town called Shamrock, and it's a lot more like what you're used to seeing on television. Actually, it's kind of like a mix of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, kind of all together right there. Uh, about that same caliber of deer, too. Awesome. Much bigger body deer, uh, you know, bigger racks, and, and just kind of the way you hunt them is a lot more, uh, a lot more like what you what you would associate with typical Texas. So uh, you live in Texas now. What do you remind us? What you do for a living there? So I work in oil field. Uh, I'm a directional driller uh, slash, I guess, directional drilling consultant is what the title is now, uh, which basically is a, a fancy way of saying that uh, I don't have insurance anymore and I have to pay my own taxes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always, always fun. So. I work out, work out west, way west. Really, it's 15 minutes from New Mexico uh, is where I'm working now. And so got a phone call the other day that they're doing a merger with a company that uh, that I work for, so they're shutting us down for 45 to 60 days. And uh, it couldn't have happened at a better time, if you ask me. My my wife's not so much happy about it, but, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I'll get to hunt through the rut, so I'm good. That's what I think anybody listening is like, you know what, you know, it kind of stinks, but at the same time, that's pretty sweet. You can't, I mean... I, it's better than being like in June, you know. So. No doubt. Like I'm not upset about it at all. But I talked to uh, one of my big bosses yesterday, and he was saying that they're talking about even holding us on retainer. So if they do that, I'll, I'll get to p- get paid to go deer hunting. I guess I'll be a professional deer hunter at that point. There you go. Good deal. Well, let's let's get into some deer hunting stories. You came on before and you had a few that you told us, but you said you had a few more up your sleeve. And so we're right smack in the dab of everybody's hunting season of some sort. So I figured maybe you come back on and tell a few more. Yeah, man. Like so, this time of year is the kind of the time of year that I start to get giddy and all excited. My wife forgets who she's married to because I'm never home. Yeah, uh, man. Like our, uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying our 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 peak activity for for mature deer really starts to kick off basically today historically and uh you know moving forward it, it only gets better all the way up till right around halloween there's a little bit of a lull right there around halloween and then you know the first week of november uh you know all the way through that it starts to get pretty crazy so um that's why i i had to have a conversation with myself yesterday because i want to come up here and hunt these big deer that are showing up but i also know that that light switch is getting ready to flip at the house, and I don't want to miss it. So I'm not uh, I'm not setting up shop up here. I'm just uh, going to come up here for four or five days and check the pulse, and then 
probably going to go home and start banging the horns together and trying to kill a big one at home. But like, uh, in fact, this morning on my way out the door, uh, I checked my Facebook feed and had a, in my memories it showed up that three years ago today uh, I had killed a, a pretty good deer. And the, the funny thing, so, you know, we talked about it a little bit last time. I fished a lot uh, competitively. And we had fished a big tournament trail and qualified for a championship that was up uh, close to Dallas. And went up there, had a really good practice. And, like, everything was, I mean, I, I was thinking we were getting ready to win at the boat. And so the first day of the tournament, the night before the first day of the tournament, big cold front blows in. It rains like crazy and, like, temperatures drop 30 degrees. I could not have possibly cared less about being out on the water. I wanted to be in the woods. The time of year was right. The cold front was right. And I knew it was just going to trash my plan for fishing. So we, uh, at about 2 o'clock the first, it was a two-day tournament. And about 2 o'clock the first day, uh, the pattern had totally gone away. We had two little fish in live well. And I went to skip my bait up under a boat dock, and it held the line just a little bit long, and it spun around and broke off on a uh, on the top of their dock. And I told my partner, so I'm done with this, man. Like, I, I'm so, I was so aggravated. I wasn't enjoying myself. Like, I can't do this anymore. So I'm here. I'll be glad to net anything that you catch, but I'm not making another cast. I'm over it. And he was like, yeah, I'm pretty much over it, too. So we rolled back up, put the boat on the trailer, went to the director, was like, hey, See you guys next year. We're out. So we're headed home, and he was like, "What are you going to do when you get home?" I was like, "Man, I said, uh, I'm gonna go kill a big deer." He was like, "Hey, you got one you're after?" I said, "No, I don't. Like, I, I've got some pictures of some decent ones, but so I don't really have anything that I've got my teeth in, you know." So, but I, you know, I, I'm gonna go shoot one tomorrow because everything's right. He kind of laughed, and he was like, "I'll send me a picture when you get him." So we get home late that night. I get up, drive straight out to the place that I was hunting. I met a couple of guys at camp that morning, roll out at like 2 o'clock. I hadn't seen a thing. And let me back up. That place uh, in Texas, we have, you know, your regular general season. Uh, rifle season starts the uh, first Saturday in uh, November. And bow season usually starts uh, the Saturday closest to October the 1st. Okay. So we were in the general uh, bow season. But this particular property that I was hunting uh, is MLD. I'm not even 100% sure what that is. Managed land development or something to that effect. Uh, yeah. But you're, you're hunting off state-issued tags, and basically uh, you, you can rifle hunt from uh, October the 1st to February 28th. And it's basically a management program that they let you hunt under. So uh, I happen to be rifle hunting on this hunt. But I set up on edge of this food plot. And this was like, uh, for where I live, is the, kind of one of those places that you dream to get. Like, it's a like a big, deep creek to the west that kind of ran in and snaked along this side. Big, flat area for a food plot that I planted uh, that kind of runs north and south and falls off into this uh, pretty thick, like, pin oak bottom with some really, really thick stuff on the other side of it. And then back to the east, like, there was a, a an active train track that ran through there. So everything just kind of pinched and funneled down into this one little spot. I was like, this is ideal, perfect spot. But I had hunted it quite a bit, 
and I hadn't seen a single buck. I mean, I'd gotten a, a couple of pictures of some nice ones, but I hadn't seen anything, you know. I was kind of starting to get discouraged in it. And uh, this particular morning, I'd sat there till 1030 and hadn't seen a thing. I had four does come out. They kind of milled around. They kept kind of, you know, looking back behind them. And uh, eventually they kind of fed off through the creek. But I don't know, 20 minutes later, I, I could see a deer kind of working through back there. You know how they get in that hardwood timber where you can just kind of see pieces of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you'd see a little flash, like an ear flicker or their leg move, but I couldn't tell anything about it. I, I really kind of half expected that those does fell off in that creek and uh, had made a, you know, a half circle around. So, anyway, I was keeping an eye on it, but I couldn't tell what was going on. And uh, then a deer stepped out, and immediately I recognized him as a, a five-year-old deer that we'd had a bunch of pictures of on the complete opposite end of the property and never had a picture of him on my end. And my buddy that was over the leash, his mom was hunting this deer like super hard. And uh, But she was over a, a mile probably from where I was at. And uh, deer comes out, and, like, I, I really honestly had that moment of, like, I'd looked at so many pictures of him, like, I felt like I knew, you know, exactly how big he was. And, you know, he had some really cool character. I knew he was plenty old enough and all that, but I also knew that there were some really good deer around. And historically, the end of October, it's just every day we got new bucks showing up, you know, so. I looked at him for a second, and I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to shoot him, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling myself that I'm crazy because he's, I don't know, probably top five biggest deer that I've ever killed. And uh, I watch him for a minute, and he kind of goes and gets behind some stuff like he's going to go off in that creek the same way as those went. And, like, immediately the moment that he disappears, like, I'm just mentally beating myself to death for letting this deer walk. I'm like, what are you? Dude, man, this is a great deer. Exactly why he's coming out here. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, been here since daylight. And the deer that you've been waiting on finally shows up. And you're going to let him walk for hopes that something else may show up, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I'm sitting there kind of giving myself beat mentally. And, uh, like, it just kind of pops back up out of that spot and just starts walking straight towards me. Well, I kind of took that as a sign that uh, probably better than give him another pass. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got hooked up on the shooting sticks. He came in, and, and as soon as he got uh, as soon as he got brought to, I took me there, put it on, and let him have it. He ended up. Uh, let's see, I think he had 14 schoolable points. He was a mainframe nine point. Uh, had split brow time, and really cool matching kickers off of HG2. And, like, he didn't have a lot of time length, uh, which, you know, I guess hurt his score from being, like, way up there. He's just a big, framey deer, you know, really tall. He came straight up, real real pretty deer. And they called him uh, Crown Thorns. A couple of guys on the on the uh, lease was calling that because, like, everything kind of sat up like a halo, and then he had those really cool matching kickers off of his cage. Yeah. So, he's, uh, the, buck, the pictures you sent, I mean, he's a cool-looking deer. I mean, really neat. He character. is. He's one of the few. Like so, when I when I got him back, I did a European mount on him, and I didn't want to. I did it reluctantly, but uh, my wife is kind of she don't put her foot down a lot about hunting, but she did on that and said that 
you know, we didn't necessarily need to build a new house, and we didn't have any more. She said she didn't have any more wall space. <laughs> I think we have a lot of wall space. There's a plenty of, I mean, there's probably spots in the bathroom where you can put a deer head, right? I think so. I mean, you can also even cut out places and build you like a little shadow box. Yeah, I, I have that thing. So my wife, on the other hand, doesn't like European, so she's like, it's got to be big enough for you to mount it. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your standard? Because, I mean, I'm willing to shoot a 120, you know. And so she's <laughs> so – I think she's thinking a little bit bigger than that, but I don't know. So well, that's, yeah. that's sweet. So you See, leave the fishing one, tournament and come home and get a buck. You bet, man. And, like, I, I wouldn't have traded it another way. Like, it's just another cool part of the story, you know, like, the fishing deal, that's, that's a uh, a lot of what I do. Like this year, I had so much weird stuff. I think I talked to you, told you like I had a lot of stuff uh, like spiritually happening that I can't I can't take any credit for any of it. And, yeah, I saw I saw one of your Facebook posts about a tournament you were in and something about you wanted one more fish. Uh, tell that story if anybody didn't catch that post because I think that's just a really neat story that you had there. So that deal there, uh, there's so much to that story. I could do an entire podcast on this fishing season, but I'll break it down as quick as I can. The FLW Tour has a a qualifying series uh, called the Coastal Series, which is basically like a AAA of professional bass fishing. So I've, I've fished competitively for a very long time. They were super expensive to fish, and this year I finally made up my mind and said, look, I'll give it a go, see if I can compete with these guys, and I'm going to get after it. Well, the first tournament was on Lake Amistad, which is nine hours south of where I live, and uh, I trashed my boat trailer like two weeks before we were supposed to leave to go down there. And the boat trailer that I have is obsolete, so the or had. Uh, I have since upgraded. That's all part of the story, too. Uh, I couldn't get parks in time to go down there and fish on the pro side. So a buddy of mine that does fish the pro side taught me in to going down there as a co-angler. So I have no idea who I'm going to draw, what they're going to do. I don't get to have an opinion on what we need to be doing. I just show up. I got seven rods, a handful of tackle, and we take off and go wherever he says go. And Jason and I split costs. We went down there, had a great tournament, uh, I think, I think I, I, I know I got a check. I think I ended up in like 26th place out of 200 and something team, or 200 and something guys. So I had a good tournament. Second one came back to Rayburn, which is my home lake, and uh, ended up getting third place in that one, which like really jumped me up in the points. Well, then it kind of starts becoming realistic. I'm sitting third place overall in the points and only 17 points back. So, uh, it's getting realistic that I might end up getting angler of the year, which is a big deal. It's a big check. It's hard, really, really extremely hard to do, and uh, you get quite a bit of recognition for it. It always helps out with sponsors and that sort of thing. It was kind of like my goal going into it, that if I was going to fish as a co-angler, I wanted to fish the pro side. So we ended up, my work schedule changed. wasn't looking like I was going to get to fish the final tournament. Uh, my cousin actually worked over for me. Uh, missed some stuff that he had going on at home so that I could leave work, go to the tournament in Oklahoma, uh, fish the tournament, left there, go straight back to work, let him go back home, 
worked for four or five days, and then he came back to work and relieved me, and I went home on my days off. So uh, there's a ton of things that happened to get me up there to start with. Well, then I, when we get there, I have one day to practice and kind of figure out the bike. Never seen the lake, never been there before in my life. And like we have one day to kind of figure out how to get a bike. And to me and, and my buddy that I travel with, uh, we this really hard from basically daylight to dark and got, I don't know, like six or seven bites all day between the two of us. So it was going to be really, really hard to catch a limit. And I kind of had that idea before I ever got there, just on the research I'd done. So the first day, um, drew a local professional, uh, Casey Scanlon, that's from the area, knows the lake, knows it really well, uh, fishes super fast, hard to fish behind, but he's a really good dude. And I ended up catching three, but they were three. One of them was a pretty big one for that lake. And uh, ended up I was in 16th place after the first day. So we roll into the second day, and I've done the math, and I'm like, man, I need two fish. That's all I have to catch today. I'd look, you know, because the way the points work, I could see who was behind me in points, who was ahead of me in points. And I was like, I need two fish tomorrow, and I will – and everybody else could catch a limit, and I'll still win Angler of the Year. So if I catch three fish tomorrow, I'll win Angler of the Year, and I'll make the cut, and I'll fish on Saturday. Just making a cut in one of these deals. They cut the field from a full field, whatever happens to show up, uh, all the way down to 10. So, you know, it's a pretty big deal to make the cut. So uh, go in there and talk to the guy that, that I drew. He's from North Louisiana. We, sit down, had a conversation. I said, listen, I'm, you know, sitting really good at a point. I said, I, I think I need three fish to uh, to make it to tomorrow. I think I need two fish, and I'll, you know, clinch angler of the year. I said, I'll, I'll tell you now, if I catch three fish, I'll never make another cast out of your butt. All I'll do is help you the rest of the day. Long story short, it seemed like this guy's only goal in life was to keep me from being able to make a cast. Mm -hmm. Uh Nothing illegal about that. It's just kind of a, uh, you don't particularly treat people like that, especially when they're in contention to do that well. Yeah. Um, I made a 60-yard cast at a, a floating piece of foam out in the middle of the lake and caught a two-and-a-half-pounder, almost three-pounder off of it, uh, put it in live well, and at, you know, 3 o'clock that afternoon, I'm thinking, I need one more or I'm not going to have enough, and, like, I'm kind of begging for it, you know, like, it's, it's pressure's done got to me, and I know all I need is one more fish. It's just so hard to get a bite, especially as the day goes on in the afternoon, and I'm just basically begging and praying for it, you know, just let me catch one more is all I need. And I keep, like, I'm almost kind of getting frustrated praying for it, and then all of a sudden, it's like somebody standing in the boat with me, and it, it, like you just said, uh, well, what if one's enough? Is it just as calm like that? Is and I was like, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe, maybe one is enough, you know. But there's still <laughs> the pressure. You don't know, you know. So yeah. I'm fishing hard. I'm doing everything that I can do to try to get a bite. Well, we go to the weigh-in, and I, I run a, a Facebook group that I started a few years ago called Texas Bassheads. And there's a the admin team are all in a, a group message on there. And they're messaging me. I hadn't been able to turn my phone on until we get in the weigh-in. And they're messaging me, and they're like, man, you got them? Did you catch them? And I'm 
I'm in the waiting line. I'm like, no, I caught one fish. And they were like, man, nobody else really caught him either. And uh, they said, there's one guy, uh, Dylan, I think it's Dylan Thompson's his name. Super, super, super good guy. I think he's 18 years old from uh, Del Rio. I've met him at every event. He's a good kid. And uh, they were like, maybe this Dylan Thompson guy zeroed. I was like, man, I'm not going to wish bad on anybody, especially not him. I was like, if I get beat and I get beat by him, that's because I got beat by a kid that can fish. And he did everything he needed to do. And uh, so we go on. I put my phone back up. We go way in. My fish weighs 214. Dylan still hadn't weighed in. I'm pretty, like, rejected, you know. Like, I feel like I left, like, too much out there. I just needed one more. I, I pulled it up, and it, he needed uh, to catch one fish for one pound, ten ounces. If he caught that on the final day, then he wins angler of the year, and, and I don't. And so the way in live, you know, so uh, anyway, I put everything up and was getting all of my stuff together, and I get a text from one of the admins, and he's like, you did it. Like, what do you mean I did it? He's like, Dylan just weighed in. I said, what do you have? He said, a one-pound, nine-ounce fish. That was all he had was one. <laughs> I won it by an ounce, and like man, it, it's still like it's not life changing the the, the whole deal, but it was something that I worked really really hard for all year, and like I, it's still hard to kind of talk about without getting choked up because like I put so much pressure on myself to do well, and and I thought that I hadn't done it, but it, like it, it's one of those one of those things to where whenever you like I, I don't think I've ever been spoken to as clearly. Uh, by God, as he did that day, because like I'm telling you, it was a voice that was there with me, and he said, "Well, if one's enough, just well, calm down and go fishing." And yeah. it was by an ounce, which might as well be a ton. <laughs> that is incredible, uh, absolutely incredible. I remember reading that, and I thought, "Man, that's just you know." I, it, when we talk about faith on this podcast, I and mean, we we think we know what we need, but uh, we don't we don't have a clue. The fact that God actually knows what we need is, is the big picture there. I would say. And man, like I'm starting to learn more and more about that. I grew up in church, like my entire life. Grew up. Um, if the doors were open, we were there. A little small country church. And then, you know, as I got a little bit older, I, I pretty much made a hard left hand turn there for a little while and got away from it altogether. And and honestly probably would have never gotten back into church had it not been uh, for my wife that, that didn't go to church growing up. Uh, she and I started going a couple of times after uh, uh, she was, after she'd gotten pregnant with my daughter, just because I felt like it was my responsibility as a husband and a father to make sure that my family at least has the, knows what a church is, you know. Yeah. So we went a few times and then, you know, I kind of just, Got away from it again, and uh, one of the most shy people you'll ever meet. She started uh, started going on her own while I was at work. This big, huge, like I call them super churches, but they're not really a super church where I live. I think I don't know. There's probably four or five hundred people in attendance, which is humongous for compared to thirty or forty people in attendance at the church that I grew up at. Right. But she started going to there, and she was like, I think you really need to come. I think you'll like it. So I showed back up, and the first service was really good. So we started going, you know, pretty often, which my schedule don't allow me to go nearly as much as I need to anyway. Um, but I, So I was working 20 on and 10 off at the time. So uh, I'm sorry, 28 on and 14 off at the time. So I was getting 
every month and a half I would have two Sundays at home. Yeah. Well, at first I would I would try to make sure that I went one time while I was at home, and then then it got to where like I kind of kept hearing something tell me that I needed to be there every Sunday, and hmm. so I started trying to make it like I felt. For the first time in a really, really long time, I felt super, super guilty if I missed at all, you know. And so now it's been like a, I make it a point. I can't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I go every single Sunday that I'm home. But I I haven't missed one in a while. And if I do miss one, I know that I missed it. You know, it's like it. it, And every since I started doing that, um, I don't know, man, like it's, Things that I, that are completely out of my control have just started happening that, that have benefited me and my family to where there's no doubt where it's coming from. And it's, you know, I'm not getting on a podcast and telling everybody if you go to your church, all your wildest dreams are about to come true. But, like, I'm having opportunities to do things that I've never had to do before, and yeah. I, I know exactly where my blessings are coming from. Oh, that's a good, good way to look at it, Steve. I, you know, I think people kind of, treat church sometimes the way they, they might treat like a restaurant. They go to a chain restaurant and they have that experience, and so they think all of the other ones are just like that. And the reality is every church is, is different. It's not I've said this before. It's, it's not really a building or a place you go to. It's the people that you belong to, and, or at least that's what it should be. And so I think I've, I've learned a lot growing up in church. You know, there's some things about church that are good, and there's some things about church that are challenging. And um, all I can tell people is, hey, there's – Go try. Don't don't try and go into it thinking what can I get out of it. Go into it thinking, hey, what can I put into it? That's uh, right. Because that's you're you're joining. Hopefully, what you're joining is not just some once a week meeting. You're kind of joining a community of people that just want to follow the Lord the best they can and help each other do that. You know, anybody that I, I get where people say, hey, church is just a bunch of hypocrites or people. Well, you're right. We're a bunch of people that aren't perfect. We're screwed up. And if we claim to be perfect, then yeah, you're right. But I never claimed to be perfect. <laughs> no, I, it, I mean, like you said it, because for for so long, that's what kept me away from church, uh, was that uh, I guess maybe I put too much stock into the people. And, yeah. you know, I knew what I was doing, and it was fine for me to do it, but I didn't like for these people that were doing the same thing as me to tell me that I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. Yeah. And, and that bothered me for a long time. And then after a while, you know, I, I can go off on a tangent on this too. Like I just have my opinions about things that I can't support biblically, but it's something that I feel strongly enough about that I feel like that it's coming from somewhere besides my head. But I mean, you know, I have friends of mine that if that are lifelong friends, that if you were to go to these people and start trying to beat them to death with the Bible and tell them you're going to hell, if you don't change your ways and uh, they're going to, at least laugh at you, it's probably going to go way worse than that. But yeah. you will be escorted away. But, I mean, some of these same people, I can go in because they know me as a person and introduce that to them in a way that they that they can listen to. I had a good friend of mine that just started going to church with us uh, recently, him and his wife and, uh, and their kids. And this guy's well into his 30s and couldn't remember the last time he had gone to church. And, and I, we were over at his house cooking one night. And I told him, I said, well, why don't y'all come in the morning with us? It's late, you know, it's after, well after midnight. He's like, oh, I don't know, maybe next Sunday. I was like, oh, just get up and come. I said, they have a late service. I said, well, we usually go to the one in the middle, but 
I said, we'll go to the late one. And then after that, we'll come back. And uh, I said, I, I've got some stuff marinating at the house, and I'll cook some pork loins whenever we get off work. I mean, get off uh, out of church. So they ended up coming. He started going every Sunday. And after three or four weeks of him going, uh, he called me one day while I was at work. He said, man, he said, listen, I, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you uh, talking me into going. He mm. said that there's so much things that I'm that I'm hearing and learning that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten uh, that makes makes life so much more uh, to where it makes sense. He said yeah. before uh, I had all these questions. He was like, I didn't know where to find the answer, and he was like, Now I do. I was like, Man, that you know, it don't get any better than that. Yeah, yeah. The reality is we're all on a journey, and. Uh... You know, I, you can try and figure it out yourself and be the Marlboro Man solo. Um, but I think, you know, the Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ. So there's something important about it. And I don't know that it always means that it has to be a building, but I do think it has to be a group of people. I, I know there's people there's people that do house churches. They'll just, just get togethers and they'll meet in each other's homes and read the Bible and they'll sing together or whatever. You know, it doesn't always have to look the way that, you know, maybe we grew up with it. But sure, you know, they're just around a, the house. Those uh, the, the cowboy churches are a big deal. It's yeah. kind of a non-denominational thing, and they, I mean, a lot of them started out in the tent until they raised enough money to build a building. But you know, they, it's a, always a barn-style looking church, and then they have a roping arena back there behind it. They do church on Sunday mornings, and they go do play days and stuff on the weekend. I mean, it's great. Like, there's a ton of people that I know that go to those. That yeah, otherwise would have never even thought about going to a church, you know? Yeah. Well, that's that's good stuff, Steve. I uh, appreciate you kind of bringing it up and talking about it. I definitely, the fishing store, uh, that's that's pretty incredible. Just one more. That's something I'll remember. So let's, I think we've got a little bit of time left here. You're still on the road and i got time. So do you have any other buck stories that come to mind if we're jumping back into the whitetail woods here for a minute? Any other stories that just kind of pop to the, the front of your mind as we think about deer season? And yes, because uh, I'm finally getting to put my place back home that I've been hunting is the MLD, so I've been hunting with a rifle. It's a new property. We're trying to learn it, and it's uh, presented its share of challenges from uh, a little bit more local help than what we would uh, particularly want, and uh, deer numbers are low. It's just a challenging place to hunt, but um, this place that I'm going to right now that I'm on my way to is not MLD, so... I got to pick my bow up, and I'm uh, I'm excited about that, man. Like, I forget how much I – because I love to do both. I love to bow hunt. I love to rifle hunt. Um, but I forget how much I love to bow hunt until I grab it and I get out there and start doing it again. And uh, so I guess this will tell one about the uh, – it's the biggest deer I've ever killed, high-scoring deer I've ever killed. And uh, I, I don't – I kind of doubt that I'll ever top it with a bow and uh i got to self-film it so i'd, I'd leased a place in uh in kansas a little small farm it was like a little half section and it was basically one big draw that ran all the way through and uh i had gotten some time off again and gotten lucky and it was off in uh end of october on up into november and so i planned on hunting there close to the house on some public land I got up Halloween morning to go do that and walked outside, and it was just pouring down rain and uh, sat there for a few minutes. And I went back in the house, gathered up all my stuff, and uh, went in there and walked my wife. I said, hey, I'm going uh, to head up to Kansas. 
she's <laughs> just kind of looked at me. She was like, are you kidding? I was like, no. I said, I'm going to go on up there and uh, get this thing taken care of up north. And she was like, okay, uh, well, how long are you going to be gone? I was like, well, I'll, I'll be back to Thanksgiving for sure. And, like, she was cool with it, you know. So here I am, tear out, plan on being gone for maybe a month. And uh, drive all the way up. I get to Oklahoma City. And I called the uh, the landowner's son, told him, hey, you know, I'm on my way up. I'm going to be there for a while. I'll be staying in the barn. And, uh, you know, if y'all need got any chores around the farm, need to be taken care of, let me know. I'd be glad to help out. And this and that. He calls me back and uh, tells me that uh, they had turned 40 heifers loose on the section that I hunt. And so that was a, a direct breach in our contract there that, there wouldn't be any cows on the section that I was hunting. So. Hmm. I had about oh, four hours, I guess, to brew on that. And uh, being a redhead, I, I do uh, carry that trait to where we tend to get a little upset about things from time to time. And I was pretty aggravated. You know, I mean, I got a ton of money and, and time and uh, right. equipment up there, you know, that I'm worried about these cows because torn up. I get there and talk to the guy and he was like, man, I'm sorry, we never thought about it. You know, we didn't get to bail hay. And they're a non-hunting family, so it never crossed their mind that they were hurting anything by turning the cows loose back there. Um, but it, it was definitely going to be a big deal. I was like, well, so let me go down here and check everything out and see how it all goes. So I walked back. You can't paint a picture of a more beautiful place to hunt. Like, it's it's just like Midwest all over. The top is uh, like a, almost like a cat rock real similar to this stuff that I'm driving through and get ready to hunt this afternoon. Like, it's kind of rolling hills up top, and then it falls off into these big, huge uh, oak and cottonwood draws, like real pretty stuff. So I kind of, I get back there, and I kind of forget about that I'm mad anymore because I'm up there hunting. And I get my stand. I haven't been there 15 minutes, and I got bucks running all over me. They're chasing does everywhere, and it's going crazy. So uh, everything's pretty cool. Next day, I uh, get up next morning. And I got a stand that makes it. There's a deep, like, vertical creek, and the corner comes down, uh, the fence line comes down and makes a corner between it and that, you know, in that deep creek. And there's, like, a stone ledge that comes down straight down about 20 feet. So it's like an ideal little piece point where they got to go through this gap. And uh, I call it a gap stand. I had a, a big lock on there. Uh, man, I. You know, 8 o'clock or so that morning, I'm sitting there. Everything's beautiful. Weather's great. Wind's perfect. Everything's good. I hear a buck grunt. So I kind of grab my bow and stand up. You learn to do that in Kansas. Like, you hear a buck grunt, every deer up there in your mind's 200 inches. It's like <laughs> the, moment that, the moment that you don't like, act that way, it's going to be. You know, like that's – so I tell my friends from home that, that talk about going up there. I'm like, man, it's – it is truly the place that you really, honest to God, never know what could come out. Like, yeah. I mean, those deer up there travel so far. They cover so much territory, especially during the rut, that, like, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. You know, a deer that you never knew existed could show up, and he's there at 20 yards. So I hear Buck grunt. I grab my bow, stand up, and I start looking for him. I see a doe behind me, and, you know, she's acting right, so... I start looking back behind her. Sure enough, I see this big, heavy frame. I wasn't sure who he was. I hadn't had a chance to run all the cameras that I'd had up there. 
Uh, I mean, I just I knew it was a big frame he did, and it had some you know extra stuff going on. And I'm looking you know ahead of them, kind of checking the direction that she's going, and she's following into the pinch of this creek, and like they're about to be at 18 yards going through this fence gap, quartering away like the dream perfect scenario, right? So I'm turned and I'm watching them over my shoulder, and they're coming. They're probably 35 yards out. No need to shoot at 35 when you can shoot at 18. So I'm just waiting. Everything's getting good. And, like, I see the doe kind of lock up. And she turns and starts heading back the other direction. Of course, the buck goes with her and bumping and grinding her again. And I look up, and there's a string of cows coming right through that fence gap. Oh, no. So I kind of hit the ceiling a little bit. And was pretty upset. This would have been, you know, I did I didn't know what he, exactly what he was or who he was, but I knew he was by landslide bigger than the deer that I killed the year before up there, and uh, that, that deer the year before was 150 inch nine point. So um, I was pretty upset. I went on ahead and hunted, you know, on up till about lunch or so, and I drive up to camp. The landowner's son's there again, and. Uh, Probably could have probably picked a better day to be there because I was pretty heated, you know. And uh, yeah. we had a conversation. I, you know, I told him I said, "Listen, I said, I'm be real honest with you. I prefer to just have my money back that I paid to lease the farm, and I'll go hunt public land. I said I do it at home all the time. I can do it up here too." And he was like, "Well, what if uh, what if I call the cowboys out and we move them out of that, that creek bottom side and move them over?" to the other side of the county road where you don't really spend much time. I said, hey, that's perfect. So let's do that. So we go get the guys. They round them up. We opened up two gates. took us all of about 45 minutes to get all 40 of them back over to the other side of the road. We never had to drive uh, four-wheelers or anything down in to the bottom. So still life's pretty good, you know. I go back, hunted that evening. Had a great hunt. I was like, man, we didn't disturb anything. So this rock's on for like two weeks that I'm up there. Uh, not quite two weeks. I, I shot him on November 11th. But it kind of, you know how you know how the rut does. Like it ramps up real hard, and then it kind of stalls for a few days, and you're like, man, what happened? Is this it? And then all of a sudden, it really hits, you know. And that's kind of what was going on here. Like it made that little ramp up, hit that little stall, and I was kind of waiting on things to start happening. Well, November 11th. Veterans Day, favorite day of the year, anywhere in the country that has white-tailed deer, I want to be on a stand on November 11th. I used to skip school. Uh, told this story to my old superintendent this weekend. I saw her in town and told her I used to skip school on November 11th every year to go deer hunt. And uh, <laughs> almost didn't graduate because of those kind of shenanigans. But, uh, yeah, you know, November 11th, that morning, it's uh, pouring down rain fronts passing through and i'm super excited they the year before when i killed that big nine i shot him the afternoon of november 11th uh the front was getting ready to come through that night so i shot him on the front side of the front so i'm hunting the back side this go around which is if i can if i get one that's the one i prefer and man it's it's cold but it's not like it hadn't set into that bone chilling yet like it was going to be the next morning and uh had a huge corn pile up there. That's one of the things they do. That's uh, kind of particular that area. Like it, four or five hundred pounds of corn in a pile, and 
as asinine to the way we hunt at home, but it works there. Yeah. And uh, I had I had a bunch of corn that I'd taken up there that was kind of like in a plastic bag. I ran out of that. Well, when I put this pile out, it was all like, you know, feed sack material. So I had that kind of like cardboard smell, you know, when I poured it out. And I didn't mm-hmm. think anything about it. It's corn's corn, you know. Well, I had a couple of does come in, and they were real spooky. They'd get around it. And I know that's, you know, what it had to have been was they were, you know, smelling that cardboard smell. was just different than what they'd been eating there. And they're real spooky. And uh, they fed around for just a second, and they left. And it's still pretty early, like 4.15, 4.30. And, you know, I look up, I just see the tips of antlers coming through some that blue stem grass up there. And uh, I'm down in this draw, and it's basically eye level with me to the top of that thing. And he's probably 100 yards. I picked my binoculars up. I could just make out the tips of his rack going through there, and I couldn't tell if he was big or or what? So I grabbed a grunt call and grunted at him, and when he picked his head up, there's nothing behind him. Blue sky, that's it. He's skylined up there on that ridge, and I'm like, oh my. So I, you know, recognized him 100% as the deer that it, you know, I, I'd almost killed a week and a half before. So I kind of started setting into panic. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do to get him to come down this draw, because it's basically an eight-foot bluff bank, you know, that's straight down. There's no way to come down it without him jumping off the side of it. And so I started calling at him a little bit, picking at him, and he'd lick his nose. He was definitely interested, and he was coming around the edge of that deal, and he was kind of doing the same thing, was looking for a way to get down in that draw. And he just keeps working back and forth, and finally gets, like, he's directly downwind of me, and I level with me at, you know, 75, 80 yards, and, you know, I'm in full-blown panic mode. I mean, the wind's blowing as straight to him as it can possibly blow. I got an ozonics. I, I, like, I, I'm a firm believer in that thing. It helps. All of that stuff helps. You know, your scent control stuff helps. None of it uh, 100% works. Right. So uh, I'm terrified that it, he's fixing to smell me and this thing's going to be done. And I, I reached in my pack, and I had an aerosol can of uh, – uh, just Tink 69, I think it was, some kind of, you know, and rut lure. And I just popped the top on that thing and let it go. And uh, so it's, I'm filling his nose up with that in my, you know, the way I was thinking about it. And I turned my grunt call, started kind of calling and like throwing the call back down towards the bottom of the, of the draw, you know, to try to just change the sound, make it sound like it's moving away from it, do something different. Because he's just hung up up there like a turkey does, you know. And uh, I turned the can over a couple. I've never hunted with that thing before ever. The Primo's can. Yeah. And I turned that thing over a couple of times. Made a couple of tending grunts. And this is I. Well, the, my friend that edited the video. Uh, I don't know why he cut this out, but he did. <laughs> this to me was the coolest part of the whole video. This buck just jumps completely off that side. It's an eight foot drop. And then it's a 45-degree bank when he hits the bottom. He jumps off the side of that thing, lands, and it lands at a run and, like, covers 80 yards in just a split second. And he stops out there at about 40, and he's kind of walking, and he, I guess he sees that big corn pile, and he's going to make this big circle of it, you know. And he stops out there at 40, and I drew back, got rock solid on him. And I, I was getting ready to let him have it at 40, and he 
puts his tail and makes a circle and he starts coming on in. Well, I'm like, shoot, man, I'll shoot him at 25, you know. So he circles around the pile and eases on up in there and does exactly the same thing as those does. He, he starts, he gets him a bite or two, but he's quartering to me real hard, not a good shot. And uh, he just gets real spooky when he gets around that pile. And uh, he turns around like he's going to leave, walks out there about 30 yards, makes a scrape. And from from where he was making that scrape, I can see him for 300 yards, but I, I have zero shot. Like, I, all I could do was watch this big deer walk out of my life, you know. Mm. Like I say, he stops out there at 30, 35, makes a scrape. I'm like, that's it. That's his exit move, you know. And he turns right around, comes right back in there. Stops broadside at the corn pile and starts eating. I'm on record the whole time. And uh, when I drew back, I got anchored, man. Like, I, I was shaking so bad by this point. Cause I, I've been messing with him for about 15 minutes now. And, the like, the, that point of messing with him to the reality of, oh, man, he's here. Like, it happened in a split second. So there's, like, I'm, a, I'm like about to lose it, really. And when I drew back, like, my pen would go from, like his feet to the top of his back to his tail to the tip of his nose. I mean, I'm just all over the place. And, like, I'm shaking so bad I can't hold it together. And uh, finally, you know, took a deep breath, calmed myself, got my pen steadied as tight as I could. It still wasn't wasn't all that great. Um, I got it in there where I was still in the chest cavity, and he stepped forward, opened up the pocket, and I let him have it, and, Six inches lower, I missed this deer altogether at a chip shot, 24-yard chip shot. But uh, six inches up is just right and knocked the bottom of the heart out. He ran out there about 70 yards and stopped. And uh looked like somebody just pushed over a sheet of plywood. He just fell over where he fell, like it fell into a depression. So I saw him fall, but I couldn't tell if he was there, you know. Yeah, so I knew my shot wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be. I knew it was a little low, and I knew that I either either killed him stone dead or flesh wounded him, you know. And so I sit there for 20 minutes. I don't know. I rambled on some stuff to the camera. I probably didn't make any sense. I've watched it a few times, but even when I watch it, I still I get just as excited as when I shot him because it's like you get to live it all over again, you know. So I don't even really pay attention to what I'm rambling about, something about wind and taking showers, and I don't know. Anyway, this uh, I had all that I could stand. I was like, man, I got to get down and see if I can see some blood. So I uh, got down, walked over there, and the air was just absolutely painted, and there's blood everywhere. I said, I'm gonna follow this for 40 yards because even like you get around that brisket. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, you've shot a few there, or maybe in the past, but like that that bleeds really, really well, even if it's not fatal. You know, mm-hmm. you get in that big muscle tissue and it. Like, it looks great. Big, bright, pretty blood, red blood, and, you know, all that stuff. But uh, you didn't kill a deer. So that's what I was kind of worried might be might be happening. So I followed it 40 yards, and it, it got to where, you know, you could see it kind of running out one side and pumping out the other. And I was like, man, he's toast. So I stayed with the trail and got up there to where he went over that ridge. As soon as I come out of that ridge, I just see his stuff sticking up everywhere. I just started laughing, man. I couldn't even... <laughs> Like, couldn't even, I didn't have really any other emotion. Like, I, I, what I knew he was a good deer. I, I, I did have some pictures of him. I counted 17 points in the pictures, 
and uh, he's one of those that like he he's way bigger score wise than what he actually looks like, but he's still very impressive to hear. Yeah. Um, we I got him. I had some friends of mine that were staying uh, one town east of there. I called him. Hey, you know, I shot a big one, and they're like, "Cool, man. We'll bring him over. Let's have a look at him." So I go up to the house, get the tractor, load the deer up in the truck, drive over there to them, and there's three of us that that know deer pretty well. We're sitting there. He's on the tailgate. And we're talking about it. They're like, "Man, what do you think he scores?" I was like, "Man, I think he's probably 155." And uh, my buddy William, he was like, "Yeah," he said, "Man, I think you hit it on the head." And my other buddy, Wes, that was up there, he was like, man, he said, he's a heck of a deer, but I don't think he's 155. I think he's all around 150. I said, yeah, I'll take that, too. I was like, let's, let's tally him up. So I held the light for him, let them measure him. Might have measured him. Might have made him 200 inches, you know. <laughs> but they uh, they taped him out, scored him top to bottom, and uh, we're sitting on the, on the bed in the motel, and they wrote it down on a paper plate. And... Uh, Wes looks at it, and he goes, ah, that can't be right. So he goes back through, runs the numbers again on his calculator, writes it down, and he goes, what am I doing wrong? He does it again. I'm like, man, this deer is not not a big item bad before, you know. So I'm thinking, man, I I just shot a 125-inch deer, you know. Yeah. They roll through it again, and uh, he's like, man, that's what he is, isn't it? He turned the plate around and showed it to me, and it was 173. And I was like, I said, nah, he ain't that big. Like, I mean, he just ain't. Because, like, guys like me don't get to kill a 170, you know? So we go back out there. By the time we go back out there, it's sleeting, and that cold stuff is really set in. And we sat out there again in the sleeting rain and measured it one more time and came up with it four different times, 173 and 6.8. That's what he is. Wow, that is a big rack on a deer. Holy cow. <laughs> he was cool deer, man. Like, he had five brow tines. Like, they, uh, when I, I took him to the taxidermist there at home uh, to get him mounted, and uh, Frank McCarty is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Gets a ton of big deer in at his place. And, uh, I went over there to pick him up after the, you know, after everything was done. He said, man, he said, we hate to see your uh, alligator foot leave. He's like, that's what everybody called him when they came in and looked at him was alligator foot. He's like, I, I got to tell you, he's like, that's definitely the most unique deer we had in here. I was like, man, that's, that's better than Boone Clark. Getting attaboy from Frank McCarty, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is awesome, man. That's a great story. And, um, you know, it's just kind of cool. I know you got a lot more stories up your sleeve, and maybe we have you back on again because I know that you've had a lot of success. But that's that's incredible. I think the cows—that's probably my favorite part. You guys uh, wrangling the cows, get them out of there, and then next thing you know, you got this buck coming in. So that's pretty it, sweet. It was cool, and I, you know, again, going back, like I try to look at look back on things that I probably could have handled differently, and that I really, really, really wanted to blow a gasket because that's my natural uh, reaction. When everything's not going 100%, and and I, I didn't as bad as I wanted to, but I probably showed out a little bit more than I had. But this is kind of one more instance of that, you know, just because you think things have to be a certain way, uh, just let them be what they are, and God's going to take care of it for you. It's mm. important to you. It's important to him, and he knows that. He'll, he'll let it happen if it's supposed to. Absolutely. Good perspective. 
Well, Steve, I really appreciate you coming back on and sharing those stories with us again. I, I love hearing those. Uh, and it's just, for me, as me being an Ohio guy, we got big deer here, but it's different, you know, different parts of the country. It's different for everybody. So I like hearing what's happening down in Texas and Kansas and all that. So thanks for coming on again, man, and sharing those. You bet, man. Hopefully I'll uh, send you a picture about Dark 30 tonight of 12 point. Yeah, good luck. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Steve, and I'll chat with you later on, man. All right, buddy. Thank you. Yep. Bye. All right, guys, there you go. Uh, fun interview with Steve, some crazy uh, awesome stories, and he has more to add to that. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, he ended up going up to his spot that he was headed to on the road while he was recording this, and um, for the first time, he killed a buck in the snow in Texas. And <laughs> uh, 20 minutes later, I believe, if I got the story right, a doe came out. So he shot a buck, a real nice buck, real nice doe. If you check out Steve Phillips on Facebook, he might add you as a friend. I think he posted that on Hunters of America as well. And so really incredible buck. And he got footage of it, filmed it all. So uh, super pumped for our buddy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope that you enjoyed that episode. Come back for more next week. And remember to shed the light. <laughs>